Last Thursday, Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos gave a speech critiquing the way sexual assault, or as she called it, sexual misconduct, is handled under Title IX. She criticized President Obama's 2011 Dear Colleague letter by claiming it has failed too many students, both accuser and the accused. Billy, is this going to be a rape rant? You betcha. Um, okay, so, you know, she really put, I don't know if you guys saw the speech that she did last week. She really put a lot of emphasis on the stories of alleged rapists and how the previous administration failed them, which... Like, it did, but Jesus, Betsy. Her speech was was like the rape version of All Lives Matter. And, and I want to take this moment uh, to make something perfectly clear. Betsy DeVos is a twat. That's not the debate right now, okay? Yeah, she's an unqualified crony whose highest level of education is a bachelor's degree from a small Christian college. And I don't think everyone needs to have fancy degrees or a college degree at all. Uh, but the person in charge of all the schools should be more educated than my barista, who is currently rocking a double major in philosophy and Roman numerals with a master's in ancient Sumerian art history. Betsy says shit like, uh, she says shit like, if everything's harassment, then nothing is. What are you? A 20-year-old who took acid for the first time? Get out of my face. So before I defend anything, she says, I want to say that I think she's right for the wrong reasons. And she's a twat. Also, she kept using the phrase uh, sexual misconduct. Fuck you, Betsy. Sexual misconduct is fun and sexy. Sexual misconduct is what you get detention for after giving your boyfriend a handjob in the locker room. How dare you try to rebrand sexual misconduct as rape? Don't take that away from us. But, but we keep hearing Title IX, Title IX this, Title IX that. What is Title IX? Uh, Title IX is part of the Education Amendments of 1972 signed by Richard Nixon, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex in federally funded institutions. It was first used to ensure women had access to the same academic and athletic opportunities as men uh, because the world needs more softball. But it's since been interpreted to hold schools accountable for handling sexual harassment and assault. So for all the talk about the previous administration, Betsy, uh, it's been around a long fucking time before Obama. Hang tight. We're almost back to Betsy DeBarf. Uh, in 2011, Obama published his Dear Colleague letter in which he gave directions on how Title IX should be enforced. Now, Betsy is right. Stay with me. She's right for what I'm pretty sure are the wrong reasons, but right nonetheless. The system is broken. It was broken during Obama. It was broken before Obama, and I don't have faith that this chick can fix it, but I'm certainly rooting for her. You know, I I have a hard-on for due process because, you know, that whole innocent until proven guilty thing, and I hate leaving things to the court of public opinion, as many of you know. You know, trial by Facebook is not how we determine the future of a person's life, accused or victim. Obama's Title IX enforcement was hardly fair. For example, the Dear Colleague guidelines required that administrators hold some sort of hearing, but administrators only needed to find that the student more likely than not did it. They literally instructed them to find guilt if there's a 51% chance they committed the crime. You shouldn't get kicked out of school with such a low standard of evidence. 
Previously, the standard was clear and convincing evidence. I thought that was a lot more reasonable. The Dear Colleague letter also didn't give clear instructions or definitions. They didn't say what sexual assault actually is, which is important because some schools, for fear of losing their federal funding, are treating a cat call or an unwanted attempt at a kiss as sexual assault. Not that those things are awesome, but like you can't treat a butt pat with the same severity as rape. That's insane. And this overreaction is something Emily Yaffe, a fantastic writer at The Atlantic, has written about. She writes, the impulse behind these rules from the Obama administration were noble and necessary. Sexual assault is a scourge that should not be tolerated in any society, much less by institutions of higher learning. But taken in some, these directions have left a mess of a system and many unintended consequences. Look, you don't need to throw away due process to acknowledge and honor a woman's sexual assault claim. You honor it by taking it seriously and investigating it not acting on blind faith. But they overcorrect because Obama came in and said, well, if you don't do this, we're going to pull your funding. Uh, But then he didn't say how they should handle the reports. Like, if my girlfriend says, Billy, if you don't do this thing for Valentine's Day, I am pulling your rim job privileges. But then she doesn't say what the thing is or how to do it. So of course I'm going to be extra cautious and go over the top because I don't want to lose my precious rim jobs. I mean, do you have any idea how hard it is to find a woman who does that with enthusiasm? So, of course, I'm going to be extra cautious and go over the top because I don't want to lose my precious rim jobs. Do you have any idea how hard it is to find a woman who does that with enthusiasm? So schools are currently ignoring due process for fear of losing funding or they're slut shaming and downplaying accusations for fear of lawsuits from accused students who are denied due process. It sucks for everyone. And so who do we yell at? Who do we yell at, Billy? Who do we need to be mad at? Know Your Nine, an excellent nonprofit, says it's the schools. Um, and I, I think I, I think I agree with them. I am but a dumb man person, but I think I agree. They say under Title IX, a student accused of rape is provided far more protections than his classmate accused of, say, plagiarism. Quote, any continued failures then are the fault not of the law, but of schools' refusal to follow it. Just as many colleges have ignored the duties to survivors who report violence, so are some institutions now ignoring their requirements for accused students. So many accused students are not even being given the hearing that they're entitled to, or they're being denied having a lawyer present at that hearing, or they're not even told about the accusation until an administrator has expelled them. There are also these like mandatory reporting policies that defy common sense. It's all fucked up. So I think it's good that Betsy wants to roll back the Dear Colleague letter guidelines and is looking into regional Title IX centers that would take the job out of the college's hands. Because, you know, if law enforcement isn't doing a great job, what makes you think the head of the philosophy department is going to do any better? I've, uh, I've never been a fan of the term campus sexual assault, you know, because like, who cares where it happened? I don't even like treating sexual assault differently from any other violent crime. You know, if someone tries to murder your friend, you never say, oh my God, I totally understand if you don't want to report it. What? And don't throw the, Billy, you wouldn't understand because you're a man and you've never had to deal with this. Fuck you. I've had my consent not respected before. That line is tired and boring to me. We shouldn't treat college students with kid gloves. And when they get attacked in the real world, they have to deal with real cops not a tribunal of professors. 
I know that law enforcement is failing sexual assault victims at alarming rates, and I know you can show me 17 statistics you found in a cute infographic on Tumblr to prove it. Yeah, the system is broken. That's the system to fix. Colleges need to have resources on hand for victims of sexual violence, and there should be fair procedures that don't assume guilt. Well, so an 18-year-old who gets raped at school should get treated with more care than an 18-year-old who couldn't afford to go to college who gets raped at a house party? I don't know, just to you, I don't know, that seems, following social justice warrior logic, that seems a little classist. I don't know, I don't know how to fix the criminal justice system to honor the victims of one of the hardest crimes to prove. I do know how we can prevent many of these crimes from occurring. Comprehensive sex education. This may seem like an inappropriate time to talk about sex, but yes, this is the time to talk about it. College students are a bunch of sexually awkward weirdos who don't know what they're doing in bed. They're terrible about direct communication, and they get higher drunk in order to experiment with their first years of sexual activity. You know, we, t- we teach them calculus to prepare them for college math courses, but we don't give them the tools to have healthy, consensual, and still probably mediocre and awkward sex. To teach comprehensive sex ed in schools means teaching sex for pleasure, which is a scary concept to the conservatives because sometimes people fuck when they're not trying to make babies. Gasp. I wrote gasp. I think I was supposed to actually gasp, but I'm just going to say gasp. Uh, Teaching sex for pleasure means teaching consent. Teaching consent and gender equality with some light sprinkles of feminist theory will raise our kids to have better respect for their bodies and the bodies of their future sexual partners. I truly believe there are dudes out there who have raped and have no idea. I believe there are women who have not been raped that think they were because it was regrettable, sinful, premarital sex. And I heartbreakingly believe there are women who have been raped and don't know it because they think that's just what they're supposed to do as vagina havers. And that sucks. I know there's an instinct to react negatively to every single announcement by the president administration. I get it. Hashtag resist. Uh, I, I watched that speech ready to fire off some hot take tweets, too. And although she leaned super heavily on the rights of the accused, we get it, Betsy. You have a thing for rapists. She wasn't wrong. In today's episode, you're going to hear a lot of talk about sexual assault rape, and predatory grooming. You're going to hear another disgusting example of how not to handle a report of sexual violence. Again, I'm no law expert, but I do know that when we talk about sex, it gets less scary. If it's less scary, we talk about it more. If we talk about it more, we get less awkward when an 18-year-old woman comes into your office to tell you about something horrible that has happened, and you want to help but also not get sued. And that woman might feel a little more empowered to make that trip to your office after she's made a police report with a hopefully competent law enforcement officer. And now I'm going to cut to a commercial break because it's the least awkward segue I could think of. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Happy anniversary, Mira and Alden. Get your asses down to New York City to celebrate. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. 
Oh, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Welcome to the show. Uh, if you are new to my podcast, typically, I don't begin every episode with 12-minute rants on rape. Uh, but that's what happened today. Welcome. Uh, no, on this podcast, I talk to women I've hooked up with about sex, dating, and why we didn't work out. And this week's guest is a return episode. We have Amanda, uh, we call her Amanda the Hot Nerd, way back from episode 32. That's like almost three years ago, people. Uh, Amanda is back. Uh, I, I met up with her when I was out in Austin a few months ago, and we talked about some some wild topics, some intense topics, as, as you heard uh, just a minute ago. But I had a fantastic time catching up with her, and I'm going to share her with you in a bit. But first, show dates, people. Show dates. All right. September 26th, uh, I'm in Brooklyn at Soda Bar. Uh, Ithaca, New York. I'm going to be up in you on September 28th at Barbershop. That's part of the Finger Lakes Comedy Festival. And then, of course, the most important show date that y'all need to know about is October 8th, because that's when we're doing Man Whore Podcast Live. Oh, yeah, doing our first live podcast here in New York City. It's going to be at the People's Improv Theater, 8 p.m. on October 8th. I want to see, I would love to see a nice, bright, shining sea of fan whore faces in the audience. If you want to get your ticket, you can now purchase those at manwhorepod.com slash live. Uh, tickets are $15, and that comes with a complimentary glass of wine, Courtesy of our sponsor, Wink, which is a wine subscription service. You can try at uh, trywink.com slash manwhore. Uh, come on out. It's going to be a good show. There's limited seating. It's not a huge venue, so you should buy your tickets fast. Really excited. I've, got a, I've already got a few names confirmed, and uh, some of them you're going to recognize. Some of them are going to be new to the show. Uh, it's going to be a fun night. It's going to be a fun night. And of course, Manwhore Podcast Live is part of Man Whore Con, a weekend for the fan whores. Ugh. Man Whore Con is fast approaching, uh, and I am excited to announce another event. Yes, we have another Man Whore Con uh, announcement. As part of Man Whore Con, we said we're going to Museum of Sex. We're playing a sexy scavenger hunt. We're doing a bar crawl. We're doing after parties, live shows, so much stuff, sexy swag bags, and also going to be a live stand-up comedy show that's right you're going to finally get to see yours truly tell some of the jokes and uh, you also see a lot of up-and-coming new york city stand-up comedians where is this comedy show i can't tell you if you want to come you gotta buy a ticket to manwhore con okay and you can do so by going to manwhorepod.com slash tickets uh, that ticket includes your ticket to the live show and your ticket to the museum of sex and to all events on the itinerary We've got a really cool group coming out. I, I, we got people coming from Montreal. We got people coming from California. Got people coming from all over. This is fucking awesome. This is going to be a fun weekend. Uh, for today's guest, Amanda. Amanda. Ooh, oh, Amanda. Uh, Amanda was on the podcast several years ago. Uh, she was on episode 32. We talked about like nerdy teenage sex. And we talked about how we met. We met at this event called People to People. She references it in the episode. If you haven't heard her first appearance, that's what she's referencing. It was basically one of those like teen summer meetup groups. Like you go for 10 days to something and then you put it on your college resume, you know? Uh, and we met there and on the final night, you know, we ended up hooking up and and then I just had the, I, man, I crushed on that girl for so long. Uh, she is 
so cute, so nice, so funny, so cool. And I just, yeah, I, I probably, I held a flame for that girl I probably through college, easily through college. I was just like, man, I'm all about Amanda. <laughs> Meeting her again after all these years. Yeah, that flame was still there. She's still uh, still super hot, still super cool, still great to hang out with. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm happy to, to see where she's been. But, you know, this is, a, this is definitely a heavy episode. Even now, I don't really know what to say because it's such a touchy subject that, like, my big dumb man face barely made it 12 minutes through earlier in this podcast. So I don't even want to attempt to try to do it again. You're going to hear me not talk much during this episode. This is a mostly an Amanda episode, and I'm happy it is. When you're like, oh, man, Billy hasn't said much. Yeah, there's a reason, because uh, I don't think I needed to. I think she said all that needs to be said. Um, I do want to give a shout out to an organization she mentions uh, during the podcast. It's called Bartenders Against Sexual Assault. Um, they have a website, basa.bar. Uh, if you go check that out, uh, if you're in the hospitality industry, it might uh, especially interest you. Uh, but right now, I'm just going to let us go straight ahead and catch up with the lovely, the gorgeous, the alpha Amanda. I mean, then I'll, I'll just say, I'll say that again, is that the, you were, um, you submitted for that love episode that I did back, uh, around Valentine's day. And you sent me this really powerful, um, long set that sadly I couldn't use cause you were recording in a car and just, uh, it was enough that I could hear it listening on my phone, but it was enough that, um, the quality d- didn't fit in. And it was sad because uh, you shared a very powerful story uh, I don't know if you, I don't mean to try to catch lightning in a bottle <laughs> twice, but I don't know if you want to, you want to share, you're telling me about this. Um, the thing that stuck out to me was you shared about your history with sexual abuse um, when you were younger. And then you go from that to that's around the time we met Billy. I'm like, Oh no, fuck what? Huh? You said that that was the, I was the first person you were with outside of that cycle. And that was really powerful for me and I was I got really emotional in my bedroom in Bushwick with I probably wasn't wearing pants because I don't wear pants in my bedroom <laughs> so it's very uncomfortable crying with no pants on uh, about that stuff but um, I don't know what you want to share about that or not because that didn't come up the last time you were on this podcast no uh, it didn't it's funny because whenever you gave me that prompt it was it was kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around all the questions you were asking it was like what is your definition of love? And I, w- I w- at that time and still kind of now, I'm like, man, I really, I really haven't visited that, that question in a while. And uh, this past year, um, I had a few events happen to me that kind of reminded me back when I was 14 years old. I was, uh, I was basically groomed by this 23-year-old uh, in the anime convention scene and then uh, basically every time I was out in public, he would try to find a way to, like, be with me. And, like, it, it was just so inappropriate. And I look back and it caused a lot of different uh, psychological damage, really. So uh, I've been really meditating on, on that a lot. I've been in and out of therapy since I was about 16 years old. But... I, w- that was, I was kind of going through that for a year. Uh, when we were in L.A., from people to people, I 
remember him texting me all the time and not trusting the fact that I was out in LA and I was around a bunch of people my own age. And did this guy think you were like, he was like your boyfriend or what? Oh yeah, absolutely. And he was just like, you're better. Like, it's just like all the kind of different psychological like damage and moves that a predator can do. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I remember when you're at people to people, like I really haven't, I mean, I maybe like kissed a guy here and there in middle school And at that time, like, my virginity was gone, you know? Like, it was gone through basically, like, statutory rape with this guy. And that was my only experience with sex at that point. And when we were at People to People, it was really the first time that I could be around people my own age, you know? I, uh, through anime conventions, I was always the young person, you know? I was all, I, I never wanted people to know my real age. I was always hanging out with... 17 to 22 year olds at like 13 14 years old and uh the problem with that is it's really easy to come across older if you're intelligent you know mm -hmm. or if you know all the pop culture references and uh it can be very confusing not to mention the type of outfits you were wearing because i remember being 17 and meeting you and i and going through all these like oh my god she's gorgeous look at all these like you know her as poison ivy and all these characters and you know yeah uh, yeah i mean i was definitely like Just uh, doing costuming with uh, with mini skirts and thigh highs and all that, um, but yeah. So it kind of just I was used to that, but people to people it was one of those situations where at my high school, middle school, we talked about how I was bullied a lot through middle school and mm -hmm. high school, and I was very much uncool for a very long time. So go to going to L.A. where nobody knows your story, you can just go out and be yourself and be around other people your age. And to have this nerd nerd girl factor was really cool. And it was the first time I was able to kind of like tap into that and be really confident about that. And whenever we met and kind of connected, it was like, I can, I can just be myself, you know? And it was cool to talk to you and just like nerd out about Kevin Smith or DDR and, and all that. And for us to be able to kind of like, hook up, going back home and being able to keep up with phone calls or Facebook, it really was, it, it made me think like that was a really starting point of me trying to get out of this toxic relationship. Because I want to say about a, a three or four months later, I met my high school boyfriend, Peter, who, and we dated for about two years and I escaped my uh, predator through my high school relationship with Peter. Yeah. So... Now, now that when you say predator, when you say grooming, I mean, what types of things is someone doing to groom a, a younger person like that to, I mean, so you were, you were sexually active with this guy, right? Yes. And, and so what type of things, you know, um, you know, does one do to take so advantage? It's, it's, uh, it's a concept that I've been visiting a lot lately because I'm in, I'm in the bar industry and, uh, right now sexual abuse and assault within the hospitality industry is a huge, huge topic right now. Um, there's a bunch of great groups out there like, uh, BSA, uh, BASA, Bartenders Against Sexual Assault, and other groups across the country that are starting to form. They got that Ask for, is it Ask for Alice? Is that the one? Uh, different. This one's specified. Well, for, I mean, but like, uh, no, I mean, like, there's that one too that I've seen, which I love the yes. concept of like, just go to the bartender, ask for Alice. It seems like very old schooly, like uh, uh, behind the, 
like oh. speakeasy type space. Like, hey, I'm asking for Alice, which means this guy's creeping me the fuck out. Yeah, <laughs> so that's definitely been a creation by bartenders. Uh, whenever you go to like a public restroom or something, mm-hmm. well, you go to the ladies' restroom and they're like, hey, just ask for Alice or order this certain drink and we'll get you an Uber and we'll get you out of the state immediately. And there's been some conversation about, you know, same-sex uh, couples, if there's... How how are, can they be able to approach a bartender? And it's not just women who are being attacked by this. There's like also men who could be in a really horrible date as well, or uh, male like male on male relationships where yeah. it's like they're out and they go, "I gotta escape this ASAP." Yeah. So we're trying. There's different ways that we're doing that. But um, in tr- to answer your question about grooming, um, there's a lot of ways. Usually. Uh, um, whenever an attacker is looking for a potential victim, they're looking for somebody who they think can gain a lot from them just knowing this person. Because the attacker, I mean, they come in all shapes and sizes, but in my personal experience, it's somebody who uh, is in a power of influence and is kind of seen as a leader and uh, that person could be popular or well-liked or something. And what they'll do is they'll try to find somebody who's kind of a newcomer into the scene that hasn't really found their voice yet or hasn't really, you know, earned, that hasn't put a lot of time into whatever field, whether it's like friends, a professional network or anything. So they'll latch on to that person because they be know like, that. be like, look how awesome I am. Look at, I've got all the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. <laughs> I got limited edition things. You only get that when you're old and cool and awesome like me. Yeah, it's pretty Something much like that. definitely like that. So this person will kind of uh, be like, hey, if you follow me, I'll show you the ropes. And then it kind of, turn, it can definitely get skewed into, hey, well, you know, I just really trust you. You're one of like my best mentees or anything like that. And then it, they'll end up using that kind of like position of power and bring sex into it. So there's like a few different. I only examples. give my cock to the best of mentees. Yes. Oh, what a creep. It's like so fucking gross. And I've, I've seen it that it happened to me when I was young and I, and I like recognize that. But um, what really upsets me is like, as I've been older, I've been like finding my voice about confronting that. Uh, it's also finding my voice and how to share that story with the bar community because it's so prevalent and I've seen so many, I've heard so many stories. If you go on this website, I recommend everybody to check it out, bartendersagainstsexualassault.com. But it's a bunch of people who are able to share their personal story, uh, male, female, anybody. Uh, You can be anonymous, say your name, and you're able to just share it. And it's not putting people on blast necessarily. It's just being able to find the words because once you say it and you, you know how to process that story, that's like the first step in finding a way to heal yeah. eventually. I mean, so. like I, I haven't faced like violent sexual assault myself. Mine was like very not violent sexual assault. It was very uh, tepid. So I, I can't say I know exactly how it feels, but I got to imagine there's got to be um, a sense of like, yeah, I'm not the only one so to speak right to go to a website like that and see all those stories be like okay it's like me too it gives you strength for sure because i think especially when you talk about the issue of sexual assault um and it can come in all shapes and sizes and uh and also different severities so to say that like you feel like yours doesn't my your story doesn't compare to mine it's not about comparison it's about 
like how you decided to kind of grow from that and how you can help others gain strength and just to find peace with yourself. Because at the end of the day, I feel like with an act like that, it's really easy to feel guilty and to hold that guilt with you for a long time. Um, how, how did yeah. you, how, when did you realize that that's what he was doing? That it was this more, it was this like predator relationship and that it wasn't like a friendship thing that it was abuse. Um, I mean, I, I remember, I remember he, uh, he would come to my house at like two o'clock in the morning and he's like, I'm outside. Can I talk to you? And I'm like, okay, sure. You know, uh, cause we know each other for a while, kind of have a bleeding heart. Like I really, I, sometimes I care too much for other people, you know, to my own deficit at points. And I, I remember I like went out and my period was kind of late at the same time. And I was kind of like really nervous. And I remember telling him, I'm like, I think I might be pregnant and I don't know what to do. I was 15 years old. I would just want to get rid of it, but I can't have my parents find out because I had so much shame in this hole that I sort of dug for myself. And I just remember him being like, well, I got a friend. He like was making jokes like, oh, well, I got a friend. Like we can get a hanger or something like that. And like drove and then started driving. He's like, let's go back to my place, by the way. Yeah. And I just remember being horrified at that. And then also at the same time, I, I remember we were at a convention and he had a girlfriend and he was like, you can't tell anybody that we're hanging out. And I found out he was sleeping with like multiple women at the same time. And I was definitely... What was he, king of the nerds? What the fuck? I know, and he's gross, too. Like, I I really haven't heard... I really haven't thought on this guy all too much in a while, and and, um, I think, like, the last that I heard that he ended up getting, like, ran out of town of Pittsburgh, and now he's, like, working at a CVS or something. He's a total loser, you know? (laughs) Like, you look back and you go, what the fuck? And... I uh, I even like I did look him up on Facebook and I saw his picture. I'm like, oh my god, this guy's such a loser. Like yeah. what? And then you feel like a little. You can laugh at yourself for it, and then you feel a little guilty, and then you're like, well, it happened, and it helped form form me in some ways, a lot of ways. But yeah, th- I guess this guy was like king of the nerds or something, and he was just like sleeping around with like women that. I mean, now looking back, had really low self-esteem. Like, yeah. I recognize I had a very low self-esteem then. And that's, like, people that I think predators and attackers really go for because it's easy to prey on. Because whenever you have a low self-esteem, all you're looking for is some kind of, like, validation. Someone to approve you. to be like, well, this guy and an older guy, like, that must mean I'm even better. And Yeah, so it's just a it, – it sucks, you know? But, yeah. Did you ever – I just remember, like – like, I got to get the fuck out of this, man. Yeah. Like, I cannot be wrapped up in this anymore. And how did you, as then still a child, yeah. in the eyes of most people. Right? And, the it's like, and the law. And the law. Right? It's like, you, how did you get out of it? Uh, there was really like a breaking moment. And I, I was already with my new boyfriend, Peter, and... We went to Kennywood, and if you're unfamiliar with Kennywood, it's this awesome amusement park that's, like, right outside of Pittsburgh. And they do these Halloween fright nights where the whole entire amusement park is decked out and, like, you know, black lights and everything. It's so cool. But um, we went with an anime group because I would go to all these different meetings. And I met Peter through this anime group, but he was actually my age. He was a year older than me. Mm. Um but I remember, like, Tim came up and was really intimidating to Peter. 
and was like, well, I guess you're okay. And he came up to me. He's like, I guess if it was anybody else, I'd be upset. And he was like, they're trying to like, I remember he like tried. That's to like still trying to exert his like exert, power like, to be like, well, you got my approval because like it's as if you need it, right? So I'm there and I just Peter was like, why is Tim being so weird? Because Peter kind of knew Tim and like the sidelines knew that uh, Tim and I were friends. And but you didn't know like y'all had slept together. Well, I told, or that he raped you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I told Peter, I was like, hey, I have to tell you, this is the reason why Tim is so protective, and he's been like crazy since he found out that I've been trying to like like date somebody and I was like and I told him it was you and he's just been like insane so um basically I just like distanced myself from Tim like he would try to call me he like tried to come to my house a few times and I that's when I was starting to get a group of like solid friends it was myself and like maybe like five girlfriends who are all really into like Metal Gear Solid and video games and we do sleepovers all the time and they were they knew about the Tim stuff and they loved Peter and they're like we need to get you out of this and doing typical high school stuff I remember we drove to his house and we like threw like maple syrup all over his car and like condiment we did condimenting instead of like begging somebody just like somebody's place he just like we just covered his car in condiments which looking back I'm like we probably fucked up his paint job good good (laughs) that's a good start that should have not been the end that should have been the, the beginning right but no I remember he called me I hear putting a banana in the tailpipe's bad. I saw that in an Eddie Murphy movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, but no, I remember he, like, called me, threatening to call the cops, and he did call the cops on me. And I was in my bedroom freaking out, and I was like, you know what? I What he's done is ten times worse. Like, And I told him, and I just remember playing ball and saying, if you're going to call the cops, I'm calling the cops. And he's like, no one will believe you. And I go, Bullshit. I was like, I have everything documented in this live journal. I have a live journal, and I also kept written journals. All dated everything, like Harriet the Spy style. (laughs) Different colors (laughs) for different moods that I'm in. Right? But no, I was like, I have text messages. I have AIM chats. Mm -hmm. I have all of this. I'm like, you will be done. You are fucked. So I'm there, and he's like, I don't believe you. You're calling bluff. And my mom came into the room, and she's like, hang up right now and I do and my mom's like I've been listening to you for the past like half hour I had no idea shared phone well not shared phone I have my own cell phone she just heard my end okay okay and she's like please tell me and that's when Tim was calling me like incessantly uh and I had the cops also calling my cell phone because Tim uh gave the, the cops my cell phone number and my mom was like, I always had a feeling. She's like, I kind of gone through your journals every once in a while. And I just really didn't know what was going on. And she's like, it all makes so much sense. And my mom and I really connected like then. Because my mom, when she was in high school, she was in a very abusive relationship. Before my mom met my father, she was uh, married twice. And she, well, not married twice. She was engaged twice, like living with her boyfriends at the time. And um she she uh she like got it you know because she grew up in a very poor family and she's like i didn't know how to escape and she uh but i remember my mom's like i have this all under control and tim like picked up on the phone and like the most badass thing that my mom still like my mom's a badass i love my mom but for her to be like you never call my daughter again. You don't even come anywhere near this house. If I find out that you're ever in this town or you're around my daughter, we will go to the fullest extent of the law. Not fucking around. 
and she's like, right now, my, we're gonna, I'm going to hang up. My daughter wants to talk to the officer that you decided to call on her, and she is more than happy to share everything. So never call my daughter, never call this house, and stay the fuck away from us, and just like hunt up the phone. She's like, now if you want to call the officer, you can. And I did. I called him, and I don't even think this guy knew like how to follow up with it. Because we the, never the officer, did. you mean? Yeah, because okay. it ne- this never this never went to court or anything. We never pressed charges. Like my dad still to this day does not know the story. Like my my mom said, because my mom basically was like, if your father ever finds out, he would be heartbroken. So, because whenever I told my story to the officer on the phone, and he was like, well, whenever you want to come in, we can like continue this. And my mom saying that, I was like, you know what? I can just eat this, you know. Because it was like, I didn't want my dad to feel disappointed. And I didn't want to put my family through that, you know? It's really hard. And that was a decision that I made. So I was like, that's like something that I lived with for a very long time. Uh, after that, I ended up having like a pretty like awesome high school relationship for as far as high school relationships go. But um, Peter being older than me, he went to college uh, and he was like in upstate New York and uh, he went to Ithaca mm-hmm. and um, I found out that he was cheating on me around like you know I think November-ish December-ish of my senior year and he just kind of like strung me along a bit and he was like sleeping around a lot and then I mean we're actually decent friends today um, after like not talking for a couple years Uh but no, uh, I remember when Peter cheated on me and multiple times and I was totally like beside myself. I was also like a crazy depressed mess. I like was dealing with all this leftover guilt. I was kind of trying to process the changes of also going from high school to college. I was running six different clubs. I've always been like, I'm going to do 10 million things and I'm going to be the leader of all of them. I'm going to run this town. Like I've always had that kind of drive. I mean, I was the president of, like, four different clubs. I was in all AP classes. I was working all the time at my high school. Jesus, school. that leadership conference yeah. really got to you. <laughs> well, <laughs> <right. laughs> no, I've always been like that, though. I'm like, I'm going to be the president of this and everything. You know, my father raised me that way. So, What does um, this lady think? <laughs> women can be president? What? <laughs> oh, man, that hurts. <laughs> But but I really did like overextend myself because I think I was just trying to fill all these voids, you know, where I because I definitely like I recognize it now where if I was alone, I was alone with my thoughts. I was dealing with some like really like deep seated issues. So it was easier just to exert all myself into all these other activities and all these people and giving to people instead of really like concentrating on self-care and learning how to do self-care. Um and it, like, really took a toll on some of, like, my high school relationship and, like, trying to – and even after that, it took me, like, four or five years after the Tim stuff to, like – I would meet a new, like, suitor or somebody who, like, I wanted to date. And I would just start crying in the middle of sex because I would just get a flashback. I wasn't able to get an orgasm until I was 19 years old because I was just so scared of it and, like, what would come from it. You well, know? you're saying I didn't make you come? What? <laughs> Wait, huh? 
Oh, no, come on, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you were totally a master at come like on, 16 years yeah, old. Yeah, on. yeah, you were slaying pussy and like making all, <laughs> making everybody make all the O's. <laughs> Wait, but can I please, can I just take a moment to make this all about me for, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, I would be impressed if a 16 year old could do that time and time again, though. <laughs> like that person deserves a medal. <laughs> but. But no, it was just, it was hard. So whenever Peter cheated on me, I didn't really know how to deal with it. And I also was having a lot of stress. So that's whenever I decided to commit, like, attempt suicide. And um, it failed, thank God, obviously. I wouldn't be here right now. Um, It was for the better, you know. I was in my senior year of high school. uh, I think it was, like, around February or March. And I ended up being admitted to um, Western Psych in Pittsburgh. And I was there for maybe, like, only eight days. Usually for something like that, you're there for 14 days at least. It's usually like a two-week to a month process, um, especially with teenage suicide. Um, but I remember that I went in, and it was in the middle of the night, you know, um, and uh, the doctor didn't believe me and because I took a bunch of Benadryl, and I drank a bunch of alcohol, and I was just really sleepy, you know, and uh, my mom caught me and immediately took me to the ER. And um, from there, they're like, well, you do have a high blood alcohol. You didn't take enough to kill yourself, but you were like almost there. Mm -hmm. And that's when they took me down to Western Psych. And it was really bizarre, you know. It's like, it feels like it's the best way that I can kind of compare it. It felt like what the closest is to like going to jail almost, you know. Like the first time I ever saw it, like kind of portrayed similar to my experience was like orange is the new black. Yeah. It's very similar. Like you go in and all your rights are taken away because you proven that you aren't capable of making good decisions. So you go in, you have to give up like everything on your person, pretty much like your, your clothes, everything and you're searched and uh, you're on like a 24 to 48 hour watch notice and you go in, you're just placed with maybe like, you know, like 14 other girls and they don't, they don't group you by problem. They group you by age, you know? So yeah. you're grouped in a room of like 18 under, you know, like 14 years to 18 years, uh, girls with different, like very different psychological disorders, whether it be like bipolar suicide or just like straight up fucking crazy. Like, I remember my first night, I couldn't sleep, really. I just, it was very surreal. And uh, my roommate was nice, though, at the time. But my roommate left the next day. And on my second night, I didn't have a roommate. And I had this, like, girl just come in maybe at, like, 3 in the morning. There's always a rotation. You never know who's leaving and who's coming in, you know. And you never know who you're going to get roomed with or um, what kind of, like, politics were sort of going on in there. And I remember it was like this, it's like, I don't even remember her name. She was just totally terrifying. She was like this big old like 200 pound black girl. And she like came in, landed on the bed and she just looks at me. She's like, what's your name? I'm like, my name's Amanda. She's like, you got blue eyes, Amanda? And I'm like, yes. She goes, cool. The last girl that I fucked in here had blue eyes too. Night. <laughs> and she just went to sleep immediately and she snored like a construction zone was going on in there. 
And I just almost like shit myself. <laughs> and I went out to the people who are doing overnight watch and it's usually met like psych students, you know, mm-hmm. who are just getting extra credit or work study or whatever. So they're pretty similar to my age. You know, I'm 17 or going on 18 soon at that time. And they're probably like 20, 23. Yeah. I just go and I'm like, I don't know what to say, but this is what this girl just said to me. They're like, seriously? So I was up all night with these girls. Like I was yeah. fucking, I was like horrified. I was terrified. And yeah. Also, why would you go to sleep? Yeah, and also, like, am I going to wake up with this like chick fucking looming over me, hands between my legs? Like, who knows what? Who knows? You know, and there's no doors there. You know, like you can see everything. Like you're not like there's there's no privacy Mm -hmm. whatsoever in those kind of situations. But still, it was horrifying. And the next day, what was even scarier was that I I guess this girl was in and out of Western Psych. Like I think this was like maybe her third or fourth time coming in. And whenever I uh, share that they moved her to um, like intensive care, like the like severe uh, ward. And every day you get like eight hours of school, kind of yeah. like Monday, like Monday through Friday. And I remember she, <laughs> you have to walk by like the severe unit, and she would just like look at me every day, like as I would, and she would just like throw up a finger or like be like, I have my eyes on you. I'm just like, and what goes through your head during that? I don't know. I'm just like, like, I did the right thing. I kept telling myself, I'm like, I wasn't going to pretend to be with this crazy person like for a week. So yeah, I don't know. I got out pretty fast. I mean, in the sense that I, I was just really honest with everything that I was sharing. I, I didn't hold back. I also, you kind of learn what are the right things to say. And you go, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. (laughs) And it, I mean, it helps that also, like, it was the first time that I really also, like, checked my privilege, you know? Like, I went to pretty much, like, predominantly white school. Like, I come from an upper middle class family. Like, to go something like that where you just see a lot of broken families and broken homes and broken people come from that. And it's just really sad because at the end of the day, a lot of that can't be helped, you know? Like, for me, it really put me it put a huge reality check where I'm like, my life's really not that fucking bad. Like I have a great family. I have great siblings. I have whatever friend base that I have and leaving from there, it kind of gave me more of this like badass, like I'm going to continue taking over the world, you know? But I mean, of course I struggled a little bit like here and there, like who doesn't like whenever you come across like depression and anxiety I feel like you deal with it for almost your entire life. Mm-hmm. Like how, how you just learn how to manage with it better. Of course. You know? Yeah. It's like, uh, al- alcoholics are never, it's not like they're sober for forever. They never think they are. There's just a matter, it's a matter of like how to manage the, the addiction. Um, and just, you know, one day at a time and all that jazz. I used to text and call my psychologist a lot. When I was in college and in my early 30s, you know, my dad paid uh, for me to see a therapist at my request, you know, because you know, my theory was if you break it, you pay for it. And uh, I was blown away at how expensive mental health care was. This woman charged $200 per session, and I knew that I could never afford that myself. Luckily, I found Talkspace. Talkspace is an online therapy company that believes therapy should be affordable, confidential, and convenient. Talkspace lets you send unlimited text, audio, and video messages to your hand-picked therapist for as little as $32 per week. What? What a deal. 
you can afford professional mental health care with Talkspace. And my listeners, okay, are going to get $30 off with the coupon code MANHOR at checkout. Visit Talkspace.com slash MANHOR or download the Talkspace app for more information. Again, use the code MANHOR for $30 off your first month. Talkspace. Therapy for how we live today. Now back to the show. Yeah, and I think, like, from all that, like, I've definitely become more of a, like, a stress junkie. Like, I love putting stress on me, and I like... <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. I I just like to, uh, I just like to stay busy. Uh, now, so since we last talked, uh, in the past two years, I've... Uh, I've accepted almost every opportunity that's ever been thrown my way. So now it's like everybody jokes are like, oh, man, Amanda, she's got like five jobs yeah. or whatever. Or Amanda, she's always traveling. And Amanda I'm... got two sort of boyfriends at the same time. Just... <laughs> oh, gosh, we didn't even get into that yet. Oh, my gosh. I asked for relationships that she's like, and that's, that's I'm, starting, I'm starting to really enjoy this part of the, my pre-interview because I'm really consistently these days, when I ask, like, what's your current relationship status, uh, every guest says some sort of, like, not normal answer. They can't just give me single, divorced, married, I got this many, whatever. So, uh, like, some people go polysaturated. Some go, like, oh, I'm single and like all these things um one person goes like i'm celibate like you go uh, i have two boyfriends ish <laughs> not really sure yet still doing a competition i'm kind of like trump i'm just gonna announce my candidates and then we're gonna make this a reality show style rollout we're really doing the bachelorette right now uh on a much smaller scale god aren't we all just so complicated <laughs> yeah so what's going on so you got yeah. these, you got these two boyfriends okay so let me just insert my sad face over here <laughs> i am uh doubly out okay <laughs> No, so here's here's what happened. Um, <laughs> what happened was what had happened was the last time that we talked, I was like, I was de- definitively single and not really seeing anybody. Right, and I I didn't really. I think it was around the same time, or maybe like two weeks later. This guy John, who I used to work with at a restaurant in Pittsburgh, he moved to Austin, Texas after he got mugged. Mm. And um, so this is the same guy you're talking about in the recording that, you, that they never heard, uh, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh no, he's never heard it. He knows that I. No, done no, that this. They, it's, it's the uh, it's the guy that you were talking about that I heard. But I'm saying they oh. as in the people on the show never heard because I didn't use it. So I'm oh, just, I'm just clarifying. <laughs> say, I'm just clarifying the same John from like months and months ago. Yes. Yeah, okay. So that's that's John. So uh, anyway, after he visited me, I went to Austin to visit him, and after this, after that week, I mean, John and I were never romantic when we worked together or when he lived in Pittsburgh. It was until after he left. And it was just, like, this perfect kind of, like, situation of, like, two people who've always been, like, two ships passing in the night, like, coming together, and he's honestly a great guy. Like, this guy, <laughs> which makes me feel more awful about, like, what my current relationship status is like with him, but... He's just so kind and caring and giving, you know. He's like really truly like on text like on paper a perfect partner and very supportive and he knows like all everything that I shared with you, he knows and mm. even more he knows. Um but uh we so anyway, after my trip in Austin, I decided to move to Austin like I, it took me two months. You know, I gave a two month notice to my job. Like, this is the guy. I'm. You moved for him, right? I moved for him. I like, didn't have a job is... lined up. Nothing. I'm just like, I think this is the guy that I want to marry and be with for the rest of my life. You know, like I, I've never been like 
full head over heels in love with somebody like that before. But I was like, this is a real connection right here. And uh, I moved and because I, I was like, you know what? I can do anything I want. And the day that I left Pittsburgh, I got one of the biggest job opportunities of my life to do an apprenticeship program in New Orleans, which is a work, it's a work study program. Mm-hmm. And this will, this will uh, come full circle soon. That's why John and I have a complicated relationship now. Um, I think I see where this is going. Oh, man. That's right, because I, I just listened to the recording, so I remember all this. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I was, that was the first gateway into my now national bar career that kind of developed after moving to Austin. John was super supportive. I went to uh, work in New Orleans for a week, met like 70 incredible people, plus also, and that's only the people that I worked with. That's not including all the networking that I was able to do out there. Mm. It opened up this whole new world. And uh, also moving in Texas, and then I also did a bourbon camp for trade people in the industry in Kentucky called Camp Runamuck. Okay. Um, But we did, I mean, I did all these cool programs in one year, I did like four, I did four cocktail conferences, worked them, that is, and then uh, was also starting to travel more and more for different, just like brand opportunities. And then I also helped open up a hotel here in Austin mm. at the same time. So, and, and didn't you travel to like Ireland or something? And yeah, that was through the work apprenticeship yeah. program that I do in New Orleans. So that was kind of like a thank you. That was like our leadership summit. And also a thank you to people because you're working for free for this. That's why they call it an apprenticeship, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's like their tricky word to use, saying, "Hey, you're working for free." But, but yeah. So what happened was first year awesome, flawless. I got accepted to come back a second year as a leader for this work apprenticeship program, and they sent us out to Ireland. They sent out a group of like 20 people, alumni who were like returning um, apprentices to uh, Ireland for a week. And that's where I met my, we'll call him my Chicago boyfriend. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, the entire week. It was great. You know, I got to hang out with a bunch of friends. I, uh, people that I worked with in New Orleans, I became brothers and sisters. Literally, like we talked to each other almost every day on this group thread that's been going on for over two years mm-hmm. now, you know. Uh, and that's where I met um, my Chicago guy. And he and I met each other at, uh, in New Orleans the previous year, um, but did, oh, it was very brief. You know, we shared a martini and that was it. Um, never talked or saw each other again. Until but as tradespeople, you were like critiquing the martini. You'd be like, mm, this olive is not very good. This guy didn't didn't shake it. The, I don't know how you make martini. <laughs> yeah, right. but I think they're shaking. And you're like, you're just... <laughs> no, literally uh, in New Orleans in July. Can you enjoy a drink? Can you order a drink and just enjoy it? Or like, are you just critiquing uh, the bar needs this and that and... <laughs> No, I mean, now Now in the, the job that I have, it, a lot of it is I go to bars all the time and I just connect with the bartenders. And sure. yeah, sometimes like I went back home to Pittsburgh and I went to a few places and I was like, man, I really outgrew this city. It was the first time that I ever thought that. And I was like, man, Pittsburgh bar programs still have a lot of work to do. Like you're just like drinking unbalanced drinks or mm. people making like 
dumb cocktails just for the sake of like kind of like snootiness. But it's just like in comedy, you know, the good bartenders they uh, they move out to L.A. and New York and Austin. That's where they move to. Yeah, that's where they move to. <laughs> that's, you know, that's what they do. It's like if I have another friend that moves to Chicago, I'm going to like. <laughs> but that's how it's exactly that. Yeah. Like even uh, for any trade, I feel like all the good people end up moving to yeah. these like A market cities, and Pittsburgh's definitely like a tertiary kind of like B market. Yeah. So, so you're in Ireland and you're like oh, talking yeah. <laughs> to this guy, the, the soon to be Chicago boyfriend and, yeah. and some things happened, I take it. Yeah. It, I mean, we hung out and we were kind of flirting the whole week. And, uh, I remember we bought like six bottles of sparkling wine for everybody to come. And we stayed at this awesome, like golf resort, like castle hotel. Like, did it have a big T on the front? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like them. Oh my God. It was so, it was so cool. We had, uh, these. But each room had like this giant bathtub. I mean, this, this hotel room is like bigger than my apartment, you know. Um, but yeah, we had these huge bathtubs, like deep insets. We had like six people come over to uh, the Chicago guys' room. We're popping open bubbles and everything. And uh, I don't know. We, it was like the one night that I got crazy wasted because I knew I had a flight to London in the morning. So mm. I was like, I'm just going to stay up all night, get drunk, hang out with my friends and before I knew it, uh, he and I were the only people in the room. And uh, we were like the perfect amount of wasted where I'm like, I've been like crushing on this guy all week and I and great personality and attractive. And, um, and he's been kind of like feeling me too. And uh, I don't know like where the, the, like the turning point was, but you know, I'm like how I met your mother, Neil Patrick Harris has the move of like the naked man. I never watched that show. What? I'm so surprised. Never watched that show. Uh, I mean, I've heard about the Naked Man. Yes. It's actually come up on this podcast before, <laughs> so I'm like familiar-ish with the concept. Yeah. So the concept, for those who are unfamiliar with it, is uh, whenever the somebody, whenever the woman leaves a room and they come back, the guy is just totally naked because it's like a fifty-fifty chance, just right? To see, uh, just to see if it works. Yeah, they're like, there's a fifty-fifty shot. Either she's gonna think it's really funny, and then it's going to lead to sex or like a good story or she's going to be totally terrified and saying like get the fuck out of here right now and which leads to a good story so like either way either way I end up with a story <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily as suave as that like the Chicago guy was like like pretty tuned up way more drunk than I was and I, I he was like stumbling I'm like I'll help you to bed and he seriously like fell over and his robe came undone and he's just like totally naked and he's like so embarrassed <laughs> and um, and we're like in bed and he has his like robe on and I was like, Oh, so nothing happens from the open robe. No, uh, he like, that's like, not where you make your himself. move. That's not the move. And that uh. wasn't even his. He was wasted. I don't think he realized what was happening. He was just embarrassed. He's like, Oh my God, you see me naked and all this. And I'm like, I've seen plenty of men naked. Like who cares? You know, it's just a body, but we're like lying down and start making out a little bit. And then it was like, he was like, uh, we're just like really into it and fooling around, and that's the moment. Do you think when... who kissed who? I don't remember. Did, do, do you I remember having kissed... any thoughts like when that happened? Yeah, because you got poor Johnny Boy at home, who's like perfect. Who thinks you're, who like I'm assuming you were uh, supposed to be exclusive with at the time? Yeah, right? yeah. So we were, yeah. we were exclusive, and I really don't know. I was just like, you know what? This is. Or I'm in Ireland. Who fucking cares? You know, and. Uh, went for it and I was like you know what like he's I've already seen him he was I've already seen the Chicago guy naked and like let's just have sex you know like it's like 
sometimes. If only every woman made a decision that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've seen him naked. Uh, let's have sex. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I see, I like what I see, you know, and he's funny. And I mean, he like was so wasted, he couldn't do anything. He did make me come though. And I just remember he, whenever we parted ways, he just said, come see me in Chicago soon. And we were only maybe four months away from working together in New Orleans. And this will be the first time he and I worked together at that capacity because he didn't do it my first year. Mm-hmm. He was a, uh, he was working for um, his job prevented him from working for the apprenticeship uh, program that we were doing. But he uh, he was like, come see me in Chicago. And I said, no, um, uh, I'll probably wait until New Orleans. And I didn't really know how to think about it, but we kept in contact. You know, it was nothing more than that. It was just like pretty much it was just two people who just decided to have sex because it's like, I don't know. I think I've used the phrase before where – how I've how I've like always kind of like treated sex with my friends. I've had a lot of sex with friends and made it like very uncomplicated and chill. Like whenever I wasn't in a relationship, I think in your recording you refer to it. It's like it's like playing board games with your friends. Like sometimes you play board games. <laughs> yes. Sometimes I'll suck your dick. Like hey, you know, it's just we're being friendly. Yeah, we're just being, we're being friendly, friendly. And passing the time. <laughs> is that, is that, that's not how you guys hang out with your friends. You're weird. <laughs> yeah, like it's way better than Jenga. However, <laughs> I think I will prefer Settlers of Catan over sex sometimes. Uh, <laughs> if only I could find people to play Settlers with me. Oh. If you can get a game together while I'm here in Austin, I'm just saying you'd have a player. <laughs> you in- might have to. I know some people, but um, or if you're ever in Chicago, my Chicago guy actually <laughs> loves board games with his group of friends. But um, yeah, we uh, then uh, didn't see each other. Then New Orleans came, and John and I were already kind of on the rocks. Like he he knew something was up, and Did, you didn't tell him. The- I didn't tell him yet. No, he didn't know yet. Um, and I was getting distant and. I was having a hard time in Austin at that time, and he just didn't get it. We were, like, so close to moving back to Pittsburgh so many times. I had a hard time making friends, my job. There was some, like, politics going in because it was, like, I'm definitely an alpha female, and my boss at the time is also alpha. Alpha. And I think she's also had her skin, uh, like, her teeth in the game for, like, 10 years longer than than I. And I was, like, the youngest person on her bar team, so... Alpha. Alpha. She's still talking, <laughs> but I'm still, I'm just writing down alpha. <laughs> <laughs> but so like we like butted heads and I, and I, uh, sometimes I have a problem with authority. Sometimes I feel like I should be the authority. <laughs> so, uh, um, that was a good learning experience. She and I are really good friends now, which also is a similar case with, uh, other alpha females that I've butted heads with. Cause I'm like, somebody who's like, if you don't like me, I'm going to make you like me. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to figure out why we don't get along. It's probably because we're similar. And then we're going to end up becoming stronger together. You know, it's like very altruistic way of looking at things. But no, uh, I just had, it was having a really hard time in Austin. I wasn't happy. I was getting overworked. I was really stressing out and I wasn't happy with my relationship that much anymore. And I went to New Orleans and I immediately on the first night, like, my Chicago guy and I, I mean, we were already attached to the hip, like at the very beginning of the conference. <laughs> and uh, I remember that night we just like started making out wildly in the elevator. It was so much fun. And we were like, we need to find a way to like have sex, but we're all paired with roommates in this apprenticeship program. And he- that's where you start trying to be like, no, 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 Cheryl, Cheryl, his roommate's great guy. Just go talk <laughs> for a bit. I know the mole is really big, yeah. but it's okay. I mean, <laughs> And also, like, bartenders are promiscuous people, you know? Like, we're, we yeah, have a lot are. of, like, sexual fluidity with us, too. So um, it's kind of like 
especially with my relationship uh, with like sex in general and like my sexuality was like kind of a perfect fit. You know, like a lot of people, bartenders, we're all very nomadic people. We're always traveling. We're going from here to there. We're always seeing new people. I like to think that bartenders are some of the most cultured people out there because we expose ourselves to so many different personalities, whether it's behind or beyond the bar. And we're given a lot of like different worldly opportunities because of the flexibility that we have with our schedules. If you're working behind a bar for a brand or anything. When, um, uh, when do you tell Johnny? Uh, I like calling him Johnny. Johnny I know boy. you don't call him Johnny, but I like calling him Johnny. <laughs> we'll call him Johnny. Yeah. Uh, it was about a month later because what happened, and that, this is all recent. Yeah, when you say a month later, I mean, I, cause from your recording, I don't think you had told him. And that was like early February. Yeah. And so since then, like some shit, must have gone down. Yeah, I mean, it was it was like shortly after the recording that we got a little more honest. He knew that I was he knew that I cheated on him uh with my Chicago guy and he knows like he knows a decent amount, but he also uh he also kind of like understands why my Chicago guy and I are so close because at this conference, um the Chicago guy's roommate who was also working with us uh sexually assaulted me in new Orleans right outside of this huge event. And, um, it really fucked with me, you know, like all the stuff that we were just talking about earlier in the hour was like, it, it kind of all came back because I fought so hard to not be that victim. And then somebody, somebody made a decision to hurt me. That was completely out of my control. And I think a lot of like, um, abuse survivors deal with, have control issues because they always are reminded of that one time they weren't in control. So they like to be in control of everything. That's why I'm like, I want to run the world. That's why I want to be like the, the president of everything, you know, uh, because I like to be in control of everything around me. And I unpredictability, sometimes I can't deal with the unknown as well as others can. You know, I'm, I'm getting better at it. But um, what happened with that uh, Chicago guy's roommate who's from Dubai, uh, who's on the international scene and like pretty handsome, like dragged me out of this event, pushed me up against a lamppost and then proceeded to like force his like fingers like towards my pussy and like try to like, uh, like violate me. And I pushed him away and said, you have a six month old baby. No, six weeks. His baby was like six to eight weeks at this time. He was married and everything. By the way, this uh, behavior is not acceptable, really, no matter how old your baby is. Uh, there's no excuse. No, yeah. no, no, no. The baby's eight <laughs> months old, I promise. Yeah, no, it's cool <laughs> it's not, the baby's eight yeah. months, but like six weeks, eight <laughs> yeah, weeks, totally unacceptable. Just want to clarify. <laughs> no, it's not cool, but that, you know, that's the yeah. first thing that came out of my mouth because I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I don't even know how this person thought that. I was like doing that, you know, like that I was putting on that kind of air about me because I obviously was hanging out with my Chicago guy and he was like, whatever. And I also was like, well, I'm actually uh, sleeping with your roommate, Chicago guy and and Chicago guy. He's uh, he's brown. He's like his uh, family is like from Pakistan. And I remember and uh, the guy from Dubai is from South Africa. He's white and South African and is definitely racist. And he was like, what? He's good enough from you, but I'm not like, that's fucking dirty. And you're gross for sleeping yeah. with somebody dirty like that. And I was like, first totally taken aback by like 
the sexual assault, then the racism, and then this guy just, like, running off and just being, like, a drunk asshole. And I was just there by myself. Like, nobody saw it. Like, it's, like, it's nobody saw it. I have no witnesses. It just happened, you know? And it's, the, the worst scenario is, like, a he said, she said scenario, like, situation. So I immediately was, like, I need to report this to the program that brought this person on because he can do it again. And the person who... uh my very close friend, his name's Sam, uh, he was also working the program at like the same level as, as I. So I immediately went to him and he could tell I was shaken. Like I, I was so pale white and he was like, are you okay? And I went, I'm like, I need to talk to you. So we, uh, we walked back towards, uh, our hotel and I tell him the story and he's like, you should talk to the people that run this program immediately. Like whatever your comfort level is. And I didn't really know how to deal with it. It was like four o'clock in the morning, you know, in New Orleans. And this program is like very intense. It's like an intense mentorship program of people from all over the world. Like people apply from all over the world. It's harder to get in this program than Harvard, like statistic wise. So it's a huge honor to be a part of it. And to do an upset like this, it was it brought a lot of pressure on me. But I reported it. What's the the pressure? You think like it's it's inconveniencing the conference? Or, I mean, what's that I think pressure I just, you're feeling? The pressure I think I put on, it was all like on myself. I just was like, be, so initially I was like, I'm reporting this person. He needs to get kicked out of this program. This right. is totally unacceptable. Alpha female. Yeah, yeah, yeah alpha female is yeah. coming back. And then I say it and I remember just being like, well, I don't want to ruin anyone's experience because they're like the first words that came from the leaders that I reported this are like oh man this is going to be really hard to deal with and I didn't want to disappoint these leaders like these people that like brought me on a second year and have really helped me in my growth as a bartender and a bar leader in the community uh but they were like I just I just don't know like what we're gonna do but they're like we're sorry this happened we'll take care of it tomorrow morning so I didn't sleep at all. I was actually and nothing else. They're not saying like, "Hey, well, we're gonna do this." Or I mean, because like, y'all are in the same like hotel or something. Yeah, right? we're. I mean, we were just a floor apart. And I and Chicago guy was with me. I told Chicago he was the second person to find yeah. out. And he's like, "You need to report this immediately. This is fucked up." He's like, "I'm gonna." He's like, "This this is unacceptable," you know. And he's like, and I remember him saying, "You know," he's like, "If you don't report this." like how did he phrase it he was like i think you're great and i really like you and i like spending time with you but if you don't report this we'll just only ever be friends and he was like if you come to chicago i'd love to take you for a date i would like to take you out for coffee but if you don't report this there's something fundamentally that i can't agree with and we'll never be able to do that what did that say to you was that about strength weakness principles I don't know just like he was like this is the right thing to do and I was like you're right because I think I was just so scared and I really admired him for that because I think like I was thinking back on my mom being like this would break your father's heart if he found out and I was like no I'm going to go for I'm going to report this so I did and you know it was like like Chicago guy got like crazy drunk after that he was just so upset with himself he's like it was like the one time that we weren't together that week and he was like it was the one time that we weren't together and and that happened so i reported it we were up at 
I was up at like maybe 8 a.m. in the morning because that was our first day of real work, real hard work. And um, I was being pulled away from the team that I was leading for uh, these like these small little sessions, you know. And uh, I shared my story. The Dubai guy shared his story. He said he doesn't remember anything. He was blackout drunk, which is not an excuse. But then he does admit that he did try to put a pass on me and he did try to, like, he basically confirmed my entire story. And then from that, they were like, well, he seems really sorry, so he can stay. Unless if you want to... There's... There's just like, there's times when I just want to, I don't know, I want to like shout, yell, but like, I guess a lot of people would react in that way, but like, I just get sad. Yeah. And I, like, I don't know what to say to, to stuff like that. You know, I, I, other than just extreme sorrow that we, we we're still living in a, a society that's cool with that and that's responding to, sh- and, and I'm the biggest, and I'm the biggest asshole when it comes to the whole like, um, you know, innocent until proven guilty and due process stuff. But to handle it just what well, you know, he seems sorry. That's fine. It was it was on it frankly, it's, it was fucked up. It was very fucked up. Uh, and I was like, I'm not making this up. And he confirmed everything. And the decision was uh Chicago guy ended up getting his own room. He's like, I think it's fucked up that they're not kicking him out because people have been kicked out of this program for far less. And I reached out to my my best friend and uh uh, who I work with on a another conference together. She, uh, I, I remember reaching out to her. She was in New Orleans too, and she just lives down in San Antonio. Um, but she was like, "This is fucked up. Like, I have, I have no idea." And I've, I've shared this story, not publicly yet. I've shared the story privately with, I'd say about fifteen people. And every single one of them is always in shock of what happened. Because is this an organization you want to put on blast? Do you want to like put the, the name out there and be like, this is, if you're listening to this and you ever were considering going to this, or you have a friend who's considering going to this, this is the way they treat this shit. Uh, not, not necessarily. I'm not looking to put it on mm-hmm. blast because a lot of things have been changing internally because I've been working with that group and also working towards actually getting a, a police report together. Mm. And they've been more than helpful. I think it was just a lapse of judgment. Okay. And so I don't want to say, because the, the program's done so much for me, and I, I would go back, you know, and I've recommended so many people to do this. I have a lot of friends that have come from this program. There but, are some flaws to it. But you're working with them to improve how they would uh, handle things like that. Yes. Which which says a whole lot, that there's like, look, yeah, we can do better, and that they're working with you. Uh, that says wonders, yeah. Yeah, because at the end, these people that made these like this decision, like, oh, well, he's sorry. They're really they're good people at the end of the day. These are people that I look up to. They're industry leaders and titans, you know, but... Um, I don't. I don't think like the right process was done, and a lot of my conversations, like with them, have been this: how do we, how do we make the right call? And honestly, the right call was like this guy's getting the hell out of yeah. here, and you have our full one hundred percent support, and you should not feel bad about any complication because there are no complications that are coming from yeah. this. Because at the end of the day, they're like, this is your decision if he wants if you want him to be kicked out or not. Especially and since he like admits it like that. And that's the thing making me comfortable with something like that in, in my fucking legal brain. Just go like, well, he, he said he did it. Yeah, he said he did it. He's yeah. just saying like, I don't remember if she said yes or not, but I did it. And but- and I think there's some politics involved. Like he's a big name, and I think they just didn't want 
it to explode. You know, they care so much about their program protecting and, and the dudes. conference is like, you know, it's like probably like the third or second largest conference in the world, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just like, it, not that I'm scared of having a black mark sometimes. I mean, I, I, that's why I'm like trying to like develop this story and develop a voice and also fix basically work towards that never happening again, you know? Cause like just sharing your story and putting something on blast, that doesn't fix the problem. That just makes people angry. Right. How do you come up with a solution after that? So that's kind of like where I'm at in this anyway, worked the whole week worked alongside my attacker the whole week too, like pretty closely. Like we were on the same team this entire week. And I mean, the greatest thing that happened was Chicago guy and I were able to get our own room for pretty much the whole week, you know? And, um, I just remember, yeah, there are so many things that happened that were like fucked up along the way. Like I remember like somebody being like, well, you're a really flirty person. And I was like, that's not an excuse. Like, well, sometimes you kind of like put out an air that you're really into like that you want to, you know, do something else. And I was like, no, not at all. Like I was in a committed relationship last year and I don't think I put off like I'm friendly. Yeah, I'm cute. I'm, I'm intelligent. I'm a lot of these things. But that doesn't mean that I want to sleep with everybody that I'm talking to, you know? How did this lead to the, uh, this leads to you and Chicago guy getting more serious in the midst of all of that? I mean, he was just right? a good support and we didn't even really talk much about the, the incident after it was done. It was like us just coaching each other yeah. through the week and just being there for each other and having a good time. So, so how does that lead to like he becomes like I guess a second boyfriend? Yeah, ish, as you put it. Um, aside, I don't even. We've never even used the term mm. boyfriend or girlfriend. So you just dating this guy long distance with kind of the blessing of of Johnny Boy? Yeah, uh, not really. So you're just <laughs> dating him regardless of. Yeah, pretty much. Like John. John, but John knows I, about it, and yeah. he's just putting up with it. Kind of, yeah, like. So where we come from that is I separated from John pretty pretty quickly after um, the New Orleans conference. Yeah. I moved. I was in the process of moving out. I did move out. We live in separate places now. Uh, and my Chicago guy and I visit each other in multiple cities. We've been long distance seeing each other for over a year now. Uh, when I was in New York just a month ago, he and I got a hotel room together and we like kind of noticed we're like in the past year, we've been doing this for over a year and we've been in eight different cities and shared like we've been like seeing each other. Like that's more work than I put into most of my relationships, you know, and it's easy. And I don't know if it'd be the same if I lived in Chicago, he always tries to convince me to move to Chicago. And I almost did before I got, Um, the current job that I have right now, I was really unhappy with my job at the hotel and I was very close to just moving to Chicago because I have a lot of friends there. I have a lot of connections. Um, and I think, and it's a city that I really resonate with. I think my like Midwest vibe, like really fits there now, Mm. uh, fits there a little bit better than Austin. Uh, at the time anyway, now I feel like very connected with Austin, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it would be like. We, we've we talked about it. And he's like, even when we were in New York, he was like, you just should move to Chicago. You have a place. Like, I would live with you in a heartbeat. Like, Are you he, still in love with John? Yeah, I am. It's like two different paths, right? And that's kind and of... And you love Chicago Boy? I don't know. You don't know? Yeah. 
I don't know. I have a lot of, because at the end of the day, we're just, we've never really had feelings talks. Like, do I have a great time with him? Do we have a lot of fun sex? Do we like have like enjoyed all the same experiences? We have similar, like we have the same friend groups, you know, and we're both like very large personalities as well. Um, and with, with the egos attached and John, uh, John's very much like quiet and doesn't really like to go out or put himself out. He doesn't socialize much, you know, like a lot of my job is being out there. And yeah. so like, how are you? T- so how are you two such a, such a match then? No, I'm not saying you're not. I'm just, I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, with John, it was, it was like, he's, kind he has a lot of hobbies you know he's very outdoorsy he's very handy he you, he like makes knives and furniture he's a chef he and i like ha- come from like the similar like pittsburgh experience even though he was born in austin he was in pittsburgh for about 10 years and we also both worked for the same restaurants and it was just kind of cool to have that balance you know because he was very much like a homebody or he wants to do like outdoorsy stuff or be on a bike uh, or so- anything like that. And I'm like, I want to go out and I'm going to like, I, I want to be like yeah. at a party, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of nice to have that balance and like this different perspective, you know, and uh, to be challenged in that way. But it was also because it's so boring and he's so agreeable. It's like, there's no, it doesn't, feel like a challenge for me like it's just so easy you know so you're in the relationship because it's easy i don't know like i think i think also like my my situation with john and this is like something that i visited time and time again in other relationships is i hate being feeling like i'm trapped or like i have to sign on for something for the rest of my life like i've broken up i've been in three long-term relationships and each one that i've been in I uh, I actually ended up leaving by cheating because I we would be at a point where I'm like we're moving in together. This guy wants to marry me, and I'm like I and like have babies and stuff. I'm like I don't know if I'm ready for that. It's like this like half Peter Pan syndrome, half I don't even know. Like I'm like I don't I don't find myself to be in a position to do any of that. You know like. Mm-hmm. And I also, I think from a female perspective, I feel like I would have to give up so much that I work so hard for, you know, it's like, it's like to give all that up would, would suck, you know, or to feel like, I feel like whenever you're in a relationship for a very long time, you start kind of, it's like you have to be a, you have to know a sense of like selflessness, right? And be okay with giving a part of yourself up so you can kind of like really commit to this other person and I am very like I admit this I'm a pretty selfish person in that sense you know I like the fact that people know know me by my first and last name I I like the fact that people will be like that girl she's she's awesome you know like or like that my uh work ethic has followed me uh, or like what accomplishments I've had and that also that I'm an approachable person that people look to as now like a leader and a mentor in a lot of ways. Like I don't want to have to give that up because I feel like, I mean, I guess I could still exist with it, but 
I feel like I would have to give it up if I'm going to be like, if I want to be a mom or married yeah. or like focusing in on like building this like new level of a relationship. Yeah. And or also, even if you had to be monogamous, cause then you have to give up like Chicago boy or, yeah, you know? Yeah. And Chicago boy, I mean like, I don't even think he like, cause I think everyone listening right now is yeah. cheering for Chicago. Like <laughs> I have no idea what's going on with in people's heads, but in my mind, I think people are cheering for Chicago boy. Why is that? I uh, one, I think you you seem like you care more about him. Uh, for one thing, uh, you refer to John as John. Mm-hmm. You protect him and you call him Chicago boy. <laughs> that was like yeah. one of the, I mean, for example, I mean, that was one of the things that's been sticking out to me. Um, there seems to be maybe more passion there. And uh, not to mention, you know, everyone's everyone always roots for the guy who helps a gal through a sexual assault because, hey, let's make that story about the guy. Let's make it. <laughs> let's steal that from her. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like. And then also, like I said, through that recording that I listened, it just seems like really into this dude. Um, and, and John seems like a, a guy that you're sort of like, I, I like doing this. But, yeah. you know. I don't know. Not that I'm trying to like break you up with anybody. I just, <laughs> are you, are you base? are you essentially, are you like sexually exclusive with these two dudes? Do you basically not bang anyone else? I'm assuming Chicago guy does his thing when he's in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, and we haven't even really like he talked about it. Talked yeah. about it. I mean, he knows that I'm probably like doing my own thing. Yeah. And I really haven't like cared if he's doing something sure. else. Cause at the end of the day, like, there's a reason why we keep on like meeting up. Like we're going to be in new Orleans yeah. together for like a whole week. He was like, I'm looking at hotels and I was like, just book it. Like he was only going to be there for three days and like, just book it for the whole week. Like yeah. the worst thing that's going to happen is we just spend a whole week in new Orleans together again. God forbid. Yeah. God forbid. God yeah. forbid. We banged <laughs> each other silly for a week. Oh gosh. Uh, but, but so do you, but do you sleep with other guys outside of these two? I've, I've hooked up with other people, but I haven't really like dated. It would be like drunken, like, Hey, like come over to my house and and let's bone <laughs> john doesn't know about those either no he just knows about chicago guy mm-hmm. so because like john and i were very much separated and not speaking and just recently it was around the time of a recording we started kind of talking again and we started kind of taking it slow and going on some dates so this is a very recent development so that, he's but he's still the boyfriend uh, call, or no like I'm apprehensive. He was the boyfriend and now he's somebody that I'm dating and going out in public with gotcha. from time to time. And it's been kind of confusing for my Austin friends and my Austin community because they know that I, that John and I broke up almost a year ago mm-hmm. and they've been seeing us go out again. They're like, are you guys together again? And I was like, we're kind of like dating, like taking it slow because we had a lot of honesty that came out. And we've been like talking in a different way and it's nice. I just also am trying to figure out if that's what I want because I'm not as sexually attracted to him anymore. Mm. And I think that's something that, and it's ridiculous because he's gorgeous. He's like built, he's like sculpted, he's like an Adonis. So there's no reason why I should not be sexually attracted to him. Our sex is just so vanilla though. All the the doughy guys, I I speak on behalf of all doughy guys out there. We are just fine with you not being attracted to the Adonis anymore. (laughs) We're all fine. like, oh my god, this uh, this exists. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. It, he's also like the most like built person that I've ever. Usually, I'm into like the skinny, like wafy guys. Uh, yeah, well, that, that aren't like muscular, but Comic Con girl in Austin does not surprise me. You're into the skinny wafy guys. Yeah, right. So, but yeah, I don't know. 
I got to figure it out. Okay. <laughs> you know. Uh, so right now her relationship status is shrugging emoji. Yeah, the shrug emoji. Cool. But that's like most of my life, I feel. <laughs> well, Amanda, um, thank you so much for, you know, coming back on. And thank you for be, uh, being so vulnerable and sharing your stories. Uh, I'm sure other people will appreciate them and plenty of people can relate. Uh, is there anything you would want to uh, suggest or tell someone listening to this who has experienced sexual assault or has been groomed or, or anything like that? Um, yeah, I, I think um, the most important thing is that you're not alone. It happens more often. I think we're lucky to be in an age where more people are sharing their stories and their experiences. There's so many groups out there and that there are ways to help yourself. And I think whenever you're, you recognize that you're in an abusive relationship or you're a victim, that there are ways out. There are people that want to help you. And at the end of the day, like you deserve that help. I think a lot of people, it's easy for you to feel like, like you deserve whatever's happening to you and you, you deserve to be in the place that you're at. You don't, you don't at all. You deserve to be happy. And, um, you also should never feel guilty for anything that you did that did happen to you, you know, cause at the end of the day, it's so easy to say it's not your fault, but in those situations, it really isn't your fault, you know? And to always remember not to be guilty and like you deserve help and happiness. So you think you all, you think you'll ever tell your dad? Ah, uh, I don't know. I think he knows like something happened, but I don't know. We talk a lot, but we've never talked about that before. Mm-hmm. I feel like it'll come out eventually. Like we're very close, you know, but with my family, my mom's very much like the emotional support and my dad is like, somebody who is uh who mentally challenges me and uh, i go to him for my business advice i go to my mom for like my life advice yeah. you know so well amanda thanks again for coming on and and take a moment to say goodbye to everybody bye guys and thank you billy it's been great to be on again i really appreciate it it's great seeing you again amanda <laughs> I'm so glad I got to catch up with Amanda. Uh, That was, like I said, an intense, heartwarming conversation. And I would really love to hear what you all thought about it. Please shoot me an email at manwhorepod at gmail.com. Would love to know your thoughts, your reactions, your stories. Uh, Again, the organization she mentions during the show was Bartenders Against Sexual Assault. Their website is basa.bar, basa.bar. Again, uh, I always love hearing from you folks. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at TheBillyPresida. Say hello. Use the hashtag ManWhorePodcast. Let me know what you thought about the episode. Uh, Of course, like the ManWhorePodcast fan page on Facebook. So you don't miss the beginnings of our body painting live stream on September 24th. And of course, most importantly, everyone, I want to see you at the Man Whore Podcast live show. You're going to get to see three, four or five of my exes join me on stage getting into it. I'm sure it won't be awkward at all. Again, that date is October 8th and tickets are at manwhorepod.com slash live. 
Next week we have, we're going to say a, a brighter, happier, f- funner episode. We got five strange men uh, eating out my friend Roxanne. So that should be a nice little change of pace. But until next week, I hope you all enjoy yourselves and stay slutty. Thank <laughs> you.